welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frederick. If you dug the Black Flame Taro, then you've got to have the Black Flame Taro book. The Black Flame Taro, an invocation of fire guidebook for the Black Flame Taro deck, written by Jennifer and Paul McAtee, with a foreword by Don Webb. The Black Flame Taro is a magical working and a powerful tool for divination. This book explores different ways of working with the deck and also discusses the origins, ideas, and inspiration that have contributed to its creation. For people interested in the Taro and left-hand path ideas, this book will help you maximize your personal growth, connect with your inner reality, and offer practical tips and techniques for problem solving and making decisions in everyday situations. Visit lulu.com and search Black Flame Taro now to get your copy. You will not regret it. In reference to the last episode where I talked about holding the Black Flame, I suggested that by opening your mind in the right kind of way, you can receive a higher form of nourishment. So someone asked me, what if you open your mind and there's nothing but shitty nourishment around? Nothing but lousy impressions bad impressions? What if you're just surrounded by um, a pep and delusion? What if you're just surrounded by negative people and bad conditions and circumstances and you open your mind to it? Well, there's two things. For one, is that you learn to open it in the right um, conditions. You, you, you find the right conditions where you can open yourself in in this manner. All right, so that's why people end up finding esoteric schools or finding groups where they can get together and, you know, um, you know, meditate, to put it simply, and things like that. But the other thing is that when you do open yourself in the right kind of way, there's always some good nourishing impressions around even the most desperate circumstances. And so I'm thinking of, you know, situations like um, the psychologist Viktor Frankl, who was captured, uh, he was a Jew who was captured by the Nazis um, during the, the days of the Reich, and he was sent to a work camp, concentration camp, where, you know, they worked him nearly to death. And he saw all kinds of people dying, and everyone he knew died, um, and it was absolutely horrible, but he was able to um, 
by working with his mind because he was a smart man. He was a psychologist. He had a lots of uh, he had experience with these sorts of things, and he was able to focus his mind when he had the opportunity on finding um, the positive things, on finding uh, hope, and that um, he he came to this realization that as long as you have free will, as long as you have the ability to make a decision about something, then you can always decide in favor of the good, whatever your situation was. And he said that this, um, and you can read about this, his book, uh, I think it's called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, he wrote about all of his experience in here. And he would think about, um, he would think about his wife, where she was, because she got captured too, sent to a different camp. Um, and, and that gave him, just that focusing on the image of that, gave him the strength to at least move through this this situation and to survive this. And he found out afterwards that his wife had been killed, uh, like almost like, you know, within weeks after um, they were se- forcefully separated uh, by the Nazi um, authoritarians. Uh, but that despite that being the reality, his belief in it uses the image helped him get through this. So I look into him as a great resource for understanding the nature of will. So the whole of this episode though is about the third function of the black flame, which is casting forth the black flame. We talked uh, in previous episodes, we talked about how first how we receive the black flame, and then I talked about how we integrate and hold it. So this time we're going to talk about casting forth the black flame. And I realize actually I have more trouble talking about this for some reason. Um, so we'll we'll uh, see how it goes. It's probably uh, has something to do with my. Um, my um, involvement in, in the music scene or, or something of that nature. So um, first, let's start with the idea about how there's different kinds of foods, because this has been a recurring theme. This is important for understanding this whole thing is that there's different qualities of food. And again, I'm not talking about you know, high carb versus low carb. I'm not talking about vegan versus carnivore or anything like that. I'm talking about how within your physical state, there's a certain kind of food for that that feeds your physical center. And that's all, that's all for the purpose of this discussion, all forms of, of food that you put into your mouth are in this category. And then the second quality of food is air, air that you breathe. And then the third, the third form of food comes in the form of impressions, and this is what opens, uh, op- opens the door to what we call the black flame and opens the door to a higher form of nourishment. So one thing about the first two kinds of food is that along with having, uh, being able to consume them, bring them inside you, there is also a process of excretion or expulsion that is necessary to it. So any kind of food you eat, a certain portion of it gets integrated and it goes into building you. 
um, building what you are physically, and then a certain portion of what you put into it, it gets shat out. You shit it out or you piss it out because it includes liquids as well are all in this first kind of food. So it's a natural part. Sounds kind of funny, I know, but this is, uh, this is a part of it. And then what you um, expel actually goes out and has another function for nature. It has another function for nourishing a lower uh, kind of life. As, you know, it's fertilizer. And it's the same thing with the air that you breathe. You breathe in oxygen and you take it in. And this happens much, much faster. Um, you, you take it into your body. It integrates. It goes into your bloodstream and makes your blood all nice and bright red colored and keeps you going, helps you feel good. And then you exhale. And what do you breathe out? You breathe out something totally different. You breathe out carbon. And so or, uh, carbon dioxide, I think it is. So that goes out into the air as a, total, a totally different substance that you expel, and then that goes and helps uh, nourish plant life. So that's another thing that happens with, uh, with the air that you breathe. So it's the same thing with impressions, with a higher form of nourishment. You take in the impressions, and then you expel them. So, let's talk about just the ordinary impressions that you take in. The ordinary impressions, before you seek a higher source and before you learn how to open yourself in the right kind of way to receive impressions from the higher source. Just the ordinary impressions that you get. And um, a, a lot of this is just basic, you know, basic information about the environment, and a lot of it's like negativity. That's the overwhelming majority of it. Just basic information about this and that, some quick emotional responses, and lots and lots of negativity. Um, and, and, you know, there's variations with this. But for the most part, it's very mechanical. It's very common. It's very ordinary. And the impressions that are taken in like this don't, really help you get anywhere higher and if anything they help sustain or really in most cases they lead you down so we could talk about lots of examples like this um, but I just encourage you to go you know look for it on your own if you work a, a regular day job or something like that and you're around people or even you know just your friends you go out and see you'll see a lot of the the time is actually spent on, on, on negativity. And um, you can really see this like in, you can see this in action if you work in an office like kind of environment where like a negative thing will happen, like someone will just say something bitchy to someone else. And then that person, they're going to feel like shitty and then they're going to say something bitchy. They're going to pass it on, basically. So it is, and, and then it gets passed on to where, you know, eventually everyone in the office is in a bad mood by the end of the day, every day. And, I mean, this is not that esoteric. I think this is fairly well known in, you know, pop psychology 
circles and 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 lots of offices and lots of organizations, social organizations like that, where people are bound together and have to see each other. They'll go through, you know, ways of like maintaining that positive mental attitude to try and avoid the inertia of negativity. But my point is here, it gets passed along. You take in negative impressions, what happens? Well, nine times out of 10, what's going to happen is you're going to pass it along to someone else with more negativity. So that's how that gets expelled. So this is one reason why um, one of, one of uh, Ospensky's suggestions in his work is to learn, develop, and cultivate within yourself a habit of not expressing negative emotions. Because what happens, someone says something negative to you, and the first thing you want to do is say something negative back to them. But if for some reason you can't, because you don't want to offend them, then maybe you'll say something negative to, to someone else. And thus you perpetuate this cycle, and you also are surrounding your universe with more and more negativity. So um, Ospensky said two things in this regard. He said, cultivate a habit for not expressing negative emotions. And he also said, cultivate a habit for not talking excessively, excessive talking. And we all know people like this who just, uh, they just can't stop talking. Talk and talk and talk and talk. Um, and, 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 and it just brings everyone down when they do it. So you learn to, um, you cultivate a habit to not say more than is necessary really ever. We don't, we don't say you should take a vow of silence. But you learn, cultivate a habit of like not talking unless it's needed or unless there's a purpose. And you also work to cultivate a habit of not ever expressing negative emotions. Now, some people misinterpret this as just, you know, you're against emotions. And there's always a response to this. Emotions are great. We need emotions to, you know, get us where we're going. And there's always people around who, who, who like to say, I tell it, well, I tell it like it is. And that's a virtuous thing. And, and, and so, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't tell the truth. I'm not saying you shouldn't experience emotions. But what I'm saying is that if you express negative emotions, which is a kind of excretion, for one thing, it's polluting the world around you, you know, just as bad, if not worse than throwing a, you know, candy wrapper on the ground. But at the same time, what you're also doing is magnetizing yourself to more negativity. Because once you put these things out there, once these words come out of your mouth, they're real. And that's a basis of magic right there. If you have any belief in the power of magic, which I'm just assuming you are if you're listening to this show, I'm assuming you have some kind of conception. of One of the most fundamental ideas about magic is that they're conveyed by words and by putting your ideas into a word out there. This is a step towards making it real in the universe. So you need to understand about the responsibility that you need to take for not creating more negative mechanical mojo in the universe through your own words. So that's the first thing about the third kind of food. And that's 
goes under the heading of personal responsibility. So the other side of it is in and 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 from here we launch into the idea of magic and especially the idea of ceremonial magic that what what is someone doing through the act of ceremonial magic is they're basically taking their ideas their will their wish a series of impressions that is inevitably based on impressions that they received from the outside world and you've put together in a unique way and a unique vision of what you think the world or yourself should look like in the world and now you're casting it forth you're casting forth in essence the black flame and i mean depending on what sort of ceremonial magical traditions you practice this is often pretty pretty overt pretty clearly stated all that I'm adding to that is that you consider that it's also, in one sense, it's happening literally that you're casting forth these ideas. This is also tied in with the idea of having pride in your work. So, and, and this has to do with the real work that you do. And when I say the real work you do, whatever it is you do in life, that creates value and and brings value to you in exchange for it. In the vernacular, we just call this a real job. You know, you you need to find something that you do in life that creates something real that's actually valuable to other people to the extent that they will pay you for it, exchange value for it with you, and thus you, A, you earn a living, which is a good thing to do, but also this is how you um, establish your equilibrium with the universe. So this is something that's, um, I, um, it's, it's a very old idea, it's an ancient idea, this goes back to crafts and, and, um, and, 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 and things of that nature, um, things that we would call uh, craftsman type work are often very um, it, it's easier to see how that works but since we live in a, in a an industrialized technological kind of society where there's been lots of specialization of labor it's sometimes more difficult to see that but it's important that whatever you do you learn to see the value in it the value that it provides for other people and if you're doing anything that gets you a paycheck you're doing something of value to someone else so that's a that's a step in it and then working from there you can try and increase that value in different ways because that's really the only way to raise um raise the uh, amount of value that you're getting back is to increase the value that you're doing there's this old saying in in initiation that um that it, it, it as as you gain in being you also gain your responsibility increases so that's the opposite of what a lot of people think when they get into magic. A lot of people get into the idea of magic thinking that it's a uh, easy way around it, that it's the easy way out. That it's a get-rich-quick scheme. I don't really have to learn any skills or learn how to do something. Um, all I need to do is like magic and cast magic and cast spells and I'll get a bunch of money in return. But people often find out eventually that that's not true. Uh, magic is actually... Um, 
the um, harder way of doing things. It's a more challenging way of doing things. And that you really can't in actually increase your being in the universe without at the same time increasing your sense of responsibility to yourself and where you are and also increasing the value of what you are providing to the universe. So this is, all goes back to the idea that you reap what you sow. You know, whatever you create out into the universe is going to have to do with like what you get back. So you learn that what I want, I, I want to try and create the highest and put the highest back out into the universe, even if it's in small ways. All right. And so that stops, or it starts rather <laughs> with the, uh, again, the stopping of negativity is the very first step in that direction. One of the things that, this is also one of the things that Gurdjieff did in his work when people came to him is, because he got lots of uh, the, let's say, the intelligentsia from the university crowds were coming to him when he was in uh, Paris, when he'd set up shop in Paris in France. And he said, these people that came to him, they had no, they didn't know how to work, they didn't know how to uh, do physical work. They didn't know how to make their own food. They're just, you know, he said they're just, they're, they weren't real men. They're just half men. So one of the first things, and they came to him seeking esoteric knowledge and wisdom and all of this stuff. And he said, well, the first thing you need to learn is to how to, how to dig a ditch. And so this is what he did to uh, the writer Orage when he came to visit him. He just sent him out and made him dig a ditch for like three days until his hands were bloody and his knees were sore and he cried himself to sleep every night. But he got him going in the direction of real work, of responsible work. So that's a, a first step that a lot of us have to go through initially. But then there's lots of other examples of this, of this casting forth or expulsion. Um, and, and, and this is in, you know, literature people who write, people who do art, and people who do music all have a sense of this already. Because you literally, you're taking these ideas and you're putting them out there into the universe and seeing what, what happens. So, there used to be this old saying. I should have started, I should have started out this whole talk with this. I remember seeing this when I was a kid. Like in the seventies, in uh, one of my junior highs, it was my junior high English class. I know I was like in ninth grade, tenth grade. It's the first time I saw this poster in the classroom, and it's one of those feel-good posters that had a picture of a, you know, a beach with like some seagulls flying off into the sunset. It's all very nice, and it says, "If you love something." set it free. If it returns to you, it was yours. And if it doesn't return to you, it never was. I thought, ah, oh, that's heavy. What the hell does that mean? Well, if you've seen that before, and, and you know, it's all this, 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 this saying has survived. I looked it up online the other day. Uh, they accredited it to someone, Richard Bach, 
but then there's controversy. No one can say like exactly is this from a book somewhere or did someone at did a Hallmark greeting card guy just make it up? And then Sting made a song about it. If you love someone, set them free. So that's a tendency people like to take this idea and apply it to relationships. That happens a lot, actually. It happens a lot in magic. A lot of people who get into magic and the occult, they take all these ideas and they want to just apply it to uh, relationship problems. You know, I'm going to make someone fall in love with me. Or I'm going to get even with someone who, who dumped me. And, you know... Uh, that's kind of a cycle that doesn't really doesn't really uh, lead anywhere. But what this statement is saying is actually pretty significant. If you look in terms of and and, and I think people who who put their stuff out there with uh, literature, art, or music um, before have a sense of that because you learn if you continue doing these things long enough you learn that you have to put them out putting them out there is actually part of the process in the same way that eating food later later on taking you know eating a big pizza or a bunch of tex-mex later on taking a nice healthy shit that's part of the process you can't do one without the other you can't eat all that food and not expel it later on and so this is a thing with your um, contributions and your creations as well. You ha you have to put them out there eventually or else what happens? Nothing happens. Or maybe you lose your mind. I mean, I'm sure we all know basement, you know, basement artists basement riders basement riders basement artists um, basement uh, musicians um, who work on stuff forever but will never ever ever release it they will never put it out there and so no one ever knows about it. So this is one thing you learn. You have to get past that. You have to put your stuff out there. You have to cast it forth. But to make this whole cycle, this whole super substantial cycle work, what you're putting out there has to be not shit. Now, I know I just use this metaphor about like how you shit things out. But going back to, you know, all the people you know who've been practicing occultism for years and casting spells for years and casting spells to try and get rich and to try and get a good girlfriend or to try and get a good boyfriend or to try and curse someone that they're mad at and everything. And then like, he's like, wow, like 15 years later, they're still in the same place. They're putting lots of stuff out there, aren't they? They're casting spells. They're doing magic. They're putting things out there. But nothing is actually fundamentally changing. And why is that? Because they haven't made a fundamental change in themselves. Because they're not changing themselves. So, where does that change in self come from? Well, first it comes from a decision. It comes from a change in perspective. And then it comes from a change because you receive something higher. And that's only from the first two, you know, that, that goes back to the first function of the black flame that we we're talking about, receiving. And then it has to go through holding. And then you come to releasing. 
And if you go through this process, then what you release into the universe will be something substantial, maybe something super substantial. Then you will have this experience of your work going out into the world and changing things and then perhaps coming back to you. And when it does come back to you, then it will change you. So I know a lot of this, yeah, I, since I come from more of a musical background, I end up talking in terms of, of uh, musicianship more often uh, than anything else. But I mean, I've had this experience before where, you know, you put your music out there, you put out these songs, and then, you know, it comes back to you in some way. Like someone comes up to you someday and says, oh, yeah, that album um, that you did in, you know, 1990." Seven, yeah, we listened to that a lot. That helped me get through a, a rough time in college. Oh, wow, that's cool. That's coming back to me. So there's something to that. And the other way that um, you you see things like coming back to you is, um, you know, one time I was like listening. I remember, and I can't remember who was playing the song. I can't remember where I was. Someone was like playing the song. And I was listening to it. I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. I like this. And, and the dude was like, dude, this is, this is your song. Don't you remember when we worked on it? And I was like, oh, wow. And then I remembered. And so I took a stock of how much I have changed since that time when I put that out there. And just the realization of that. Because everything that you put out there in, the, in that way is actually a document of where you were at a certain point of time, of where you were uh, in terms of your being, of where you were psychologically, of where you were spiritually at that moment in time or during that period of time. Because, you know, in, in the big picture, a piece of, of work that you do might be, you know, you can use that metaphor that it's a snapshot, but in reality, I mean, most work, significant work that you put out into the world, it represents a period. It's done over a period of time. And it's a fine, it has to be a finite period of time if it ever goes out. So that's the thing. Like people who never put their stuff out, it never ends up really defining a specific period or, or, um, or, 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 or uh, remanifestation of their existence because it just kind of it, it 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 ends up just bleeding on forever and ever and then eventually it loses um, it loses impact it loses its virility it like spins out as a result of that. So do you see that the whole key? to this process is changing the quality of energy that is flowing through you, which will change the fundamental quality of your state of being. And for any of that to happen, you have to make a decision first. You have to make a decision about what is more important to you. You have to do a deep dive on your own inner values. 
your moral stance on the universe. And the, yes, this comes down to if you um, are a collectivist or if you are an individualist. This has a effect on things, on what you find inside, what tools you use as you go through there, what kind of lens you put on things. But what you have on your side is the fact that you are fundamentally good already. You already made the most important decision of your life. You made a decision to come to this world, to fight for the good, to do the good. You have that within you. You already have, like people like to talk about lead into gold. So, and, and, and part of the secret with the alchemist is to make the gold, well, I need a little bit of gold first. They need a little bit of the substance that they want to make everything else into. And the significant thing about this is that that is your situation as well. You already have this tiny speck and essence of gold, this essence of the divine, this essence of isolate intelligence, of what some people call the gift of set. You already have that within you. And so if you want to make a fundamental change in your being, you first have to decide that you want to. And once you do, everything else will start to fall in place. It won't be easy. You won't have less responsibility. You'll have more responsibility. And you'll have to struggle harder. But what you receive from it will be, um, it will be what you have sown. Thus, will you re-manifest super substantial in the fire of the black flame. Anyhow, those are some ideas about the releasing part of the black flame, um, which I hope um, is relevant to you. Take these ideas and apply them in your universe in the way that is um, active and fundamental and fiery and a couple of announcements i'll put out there um i'm going to be speaking in portland again this year um april 26th through the 28th at the black flame pdx event um there'll be some more information coming out on that if you go um check it out Online, there's a website up now. It's blackflamepdx.org. Uh, they got a bunch of great speakers there. Uh, my my brother Toby Chapel is going to be speaking there as well, which uh, we've had him on the show before. Great guy. Um, and uh, you know, Season Cole is involved with this again, and and um, I hope to get her on the show again. Uh, to talk about it so there'll be more about that and you know check out the websites there's information 
um, about how to get tickets and stuff. So, so come on out. It should be groovy in a dark black flame kind of way. And let's see, I got an interview. I did an interview with uh, Anon Message Age, which is coming up soon on the on the next episode. He's a a radical um, uh, musician with some radical ideas being injected into the groovy sounds that he's creating with some serious, uh, intense left-hand path ideas. And we talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about Nietzsche and we talk about Ayn Rand. It was an intense conversation. goes on for a while. That should be coming up soon as well. So go check those things out. Reflect on the black flame. And always, always, always keep the dark fire